You're listening to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, recorded April 1st, 2020. Episode 85, You, Me, and Monopoly, the five best versions of Monopoly, as well as our belated AMA, and a re-review of Quarriers. Stay safe and game on. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, episode 85, You, Me, and Monopoly. From Hamilton, I'm Sean, and here with me, live and direct from Windsor, Ontario, the Tabletop Bellhop himself, Moti. I am the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, your RPG maitre d', answering your game and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. Let me put my years of game playing, event hosting, and game, uh, event organizing, and game night hosting to use for you. I'd like to welcome everyone here in the lobby on Twitch. We start live every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop. All right, we got a somewhat packed show today. Nothing I think will be overly long, but a lot of little segments we want to put in. So first off, we are answering a very important question about Monopoly. Then we're going to open up the floor to our guests in the lobby, our live chat room here on Twitch, and host a live AMA, answering their questions right here on Twitch. After that, uh, once we're done answering your questions, I've got a re-review of a classic dice-driven bag builder that is Quarriers. And finally, it's going to be a really short weekend review at the end of the show. We love interacting with our listeners and viewers. Each week, we're going to highlight some of our interactions with you fine folk. We'll share some feedback we've received, comments on our content, maybe some gaming discussions we've been part of through the week. We want to share what people are saying, whether that's positive or negative. We get better with your comments and suggestions, and if you'd like to let us know something about the show... You can send your feedback to mo at tabletopbellhop.com and or sean at tabletopbellhop.com. That's S-E-A-N. Uh, you can also hit us up on social media. I can be found everywhere as tabletopbellhop, one word. And I can be found everywhere as darkelflx. Well, first up this week, a comment from Roger Malosh in regards to our House Rules episode. I really enjoy Chicago Express, but found the scarcity of funds and the initial bidding at the beginning of the game to be very unforgiving. Once a player gains an edge, it's very hard to overtake them. In order to alleviate this, I introduced loan markers. A player can take out a $25 loan, big red poker chip, at any time. Whenever dividends are distributed, about every five or six turns, they must pay them back along with a $5 interest charge, or just pay the $5 to hold on to the marker. The player's total money is reduced by $30 per marker if they did still hold any at the end of the game. This didn't make the game any less forgiving, but it did add an interesting new dynamic to the game, as well as a good lesson in debt management. I enjoy the game even more now. Well, thanks for the comment, Roger. Uh, I do own Chicago Express. It's a solid one. Uh, a light 18xx game from Queen Games. One that can be played in like 45 minutes. Very neat game, but I have to admit, I haven't played it enough times or enough times in a row like in a short time period to notice a runaway leader problem not that i'm saying it's not there it does sound like you have a solid solution though this is definitely wouldn't be uh the first rail game with a loan mechanic tossed onto it actually it's a pretty common mechanic in other ones and i think they pulled it out of chicago express probably just to keep it simple but it sounds like it's working for you so great job well chris groff had a comment about our games to play when stuck at home episode from a couple of weeks ago have you played aeon's legacy or even just non-legacy. We're currently playing through Pandemic Season 2 with friends, ironically put on hold for a real pandemic, but the discussion is for another Legacy game after that. The kicker is it has to be co-op. I know Season 3 is in the works, but personally, I don't know if I want to play more Pandemic right away and was looking for options. 
Oh, thanks, Chris. Um, I have played Aeon's End, but just the base game. I haven't tried the Legacy version. I do like Aeon's End in general. The original game's really solid. Uh, it's a very cool take on deck building that does a couple unique things. For one, it's cooperative, which there aren't a lot of out there. Uh, there's the DC deck, or the Marvel deck building is one of the few I can think of in the Aliens Leg Legendary series, but not many others. So it's, it's rare to find... A cooperative deck builder but the really neat part which i'm sure everyone knows that they've heard of aeon's end or heard us talk about it on the show is that it's a deck building game where you never shuffle your deck so a lot of the game is on stacking your deck properly and trying to get the timing right so that things happen at the right time and once you throw in the co-op aspect then it's not even worrying about your own timing it's also timing what you're trying to do with everyone else which is a really like really forces that player cooperation aspect I have heard nothing but good things about the Legacy version, to be honest. Like, if I was going to go out and buy a new version of uh, Aeon's End tomorrow, I would probably aim for the Legacy version myself. So I think that would be a solid recommendation. We got a couple of comments on our three-player games where one of the players is a toddler post that was recently reshared. First up, Alex Hakobian writes, This list is incredibly relevant to me and my family. Thanks for putting it together, Mo. Well, you're welcome, Alex. I'm glad it was useful for you. And Martin Voss writes, A recent favorite here is the kids' version of Ticket to Ride. It's very playable for my five-year-old, and yet I'm not really missing all that much compared to the full game. Many toddler games are pretty lame from an adult perspective, which isn't a problem because you're still having fun with your toddler. But if there's an actual real game in there, it's a nice bonus. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for the comment, Martin. I, I've never played Ticket to Ride Junior at all, or First Journeys. I think they're called Ticket to Ride First Journeys, the kids' ones. Uh, it's not a game. I actually don't think it existed when my kids were young enough to play that one. because it's, it's fairly new to the market, but I bet you it's a solid game. What I did do, though, was with my girls, and just recently, like since we've been off work and everything, or everyone's been staying home, is I broke out Ticket to Ride New York. Now, this is a shorter, four-player max, 10, 15-minute version of Ticket to Ride, and I think this might be a great next step for you as your little ones get a little older. All right, well, next to comment on our War of the Rings unboxing on YouTube, Sild Seffing writes, So much plasticky goodness, <laughs> my number two favorite game of all. Oh, thanks for the comment, Sild. I am really looking forward to getting this one to the table since doing the unboxing and reading the rules. Now that Deanna is starting to feel a bit better, I'm hoping it's going to be sooner rather than later when I get this one dusted off. Well, next some comments on our quick and easy two-player game recommendations from a few weeks back. Brock Wagner writes, No Jaipur? Also, have you tried Watergate? It's excellent, quick and easy to learn, but gets devious once you're familiar with it. Oh, thanks for the comment, Brock. I have not tried Watergate. Now, from what I know of it, I'm not sure if it would count as quick or easy. I don't think it's one of those games that can be played in under half an hour, but I might be wrong. I thought it was a little bit more of an involved game. But I have heard really good things about it. But I don't know. For me, Watergate, I just, I don't care. Like, I, I don't, yeah, I kind of know what happened. It just... I, maybe it's because I'm Canadian. It just doesn't matter to me, so it doesn't appeal as a, a game topic. But I know Brock is also from Canada. He's from the Great White North, so obviously some Canadians are into it. Just wasn't wasn't a game I, I'm like, eh, Watergate, not, don't really care. Now, Jaipur, that's one of the games you've been playing on Board Game Arena regularly, right? The one with the camels? Yeah, I had been for quite a while, but we actually played it so much that I think we both kind of... Okay. Uh, 
pushed it off because we were playing, I mean, four and five games a day sort of wow. thing. It was just whenever we were both online at on BGA at the same time, we'd just cycle through games, uh, you know, back to back. So, uh, yeah, no, it's a fun game. Um, I don't know if uh, it's certainly quick. Uh, it's almost too quick to be to be worth setting up. It was nice, nice to play it on the on the uh, digital version. All right, so maybe something we'll throw it in the show notes as a recommendation. I don't know if it deserves to be on our blog post or not. Then, if it might be just a little, I don't know. It depends. Some people do des- want those people, really quick. People games. do seem to really enjoy it. So. Yeah, it's one I should at least try playing it online. You can show me how to play. You teach me instead for a change. All right. Well, Cardinal Tales on Twitter had this to say about quick and easy two-player games. Great article. I'd put Samurai Spirit on that list, if for no other reason than it is less punishing ghost stories. Two-player is just like the solo game, which is also very good. All of the talents available to you. The other five are used only once per game, but oftentimes that is enough. It plays like the higher player counts, except the family symbol is way more important. Great little card game. Well, thanks, Cardinal. This is interesting to me. I don't know. I, I own Samurai Spirit. It's a fantastic cooperative game. And the whole thing, though, is it's uh, you're playing the Seven Samurai. It's it's a, a recreation of that. You're trying to prepare your village from raiders who are coming in, and you're playing seven different characters. And I find it's an awesome seven-player game, right? This is one I'll break out, break out instead of Seven Wonders because I, it's the theme's cooler. It, I, I find the game more enjoyable. Plus, it's co-op, which is often better when you got a large group of people all playing together, which I dig. But I would have never even thought to try this with two players. Like, to be honest, when I first heard this, I had to go on Board Game Geek to even see if that's recommended. And actually, it is, one to seven. So it just, I just never thought, I'm like, seven samurai game with two people just seems weird to me. Again, I'll be sure to toss this in the show notes. Maybe in the next coming weeks with, with Deanna home, maybe we'll play this, but I, you know how much, how she thinks about co-op games. So probably be a while before I ever try this one two player. But to me, great seven player game. And hey, if Cardinal says it's good, we're trying with two. All right, well, that's it for this week's comments. Thank you to everyone who shares, comments, and interacts with our content. We start Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern here on Twitch. We love people who drop in and take part in our chat room in the lobby. If you're here live, remember to stick around as we continue the show after the double bell with more chat and some content that otherwise only our patrons get. All right, what do we got in the chat room so far? So I did see one thing. Ryan pointed out a couple of co-ops that I forgot about. Shadowrun, Crossfire, Dragonfire. When he mentioned that, I remembered the old Warhammer adventure card game. Warhammer Quest adventure card game. Then there's a Pathfinder adventure card game. So, okay, scratch what I said earlier. It's not really all that unique for being a co-op deck builder. Now, the shuffling thing is still unique, but I guess there's there's way more co-op deck builders out there than I was thinking at first. I can still think of a ton of cooperative or competitive ones, but yeah, there's more out there than I was thinking. For some reason, when I was first when I first read the the comment, I was like, oh, the only thing I can think of, like technically, Marvel Legendary isn't a co-op. Everyone plays it that way, but the rules, it's not a co-op game. DC's competitive, and I was kind of, I'm like, oh, the Aliens one, yeah, that's cooperative, so I'm thinking they're rare. But yeah, there's definitely those those other ones. Uh, Harry Potter, yeah, there's another one. I said there's an awful lot, actually. It needs, he, he's, he is looking for legacy, though, so that's... Uh, well, yeah, legacy just co-op. Yeah. There are well, other legacy co-ops. Uh, I didn't have this in the notes, but um, there is also Charterstone. No, Charterstone's competitive. Is there another? Clank is competitive. Clank Legacy. I don't know if there is another co-op legacy game besides Betrayal House at the Hill. I don't. Is that cooperative? Partly. I know every time you have the haunt, right? And someone becomes a bad guy, but is it cooperative otherwise? 
Gloomhaven. Well, yeah. Gloomhaven. Yeah, there yes. you go. There well, you or go. Frost, Frosthaven's on Frost Kickstarter Haven. right now. Yep. Yeah, Gloomhaven. Uh, I don't, Gloomhaven's not a deck builder, though. No, it's not. But it is, it is a cooperative legacy game. I, I guess it's a deck builder. You build your deck before you start, but you can't modify your cards while you're playing. It's a deck builder. It's a deck construction like Magic the Gathering. Yep. Going back to our mechanics episode. Yeah, I think I don't think they they like deck builders, but really realistically, it sounds like they just want a co-op legacy. A co-op legacy. So yeah, Gloomhaven and Frosthaven work. Yeah, I, I highly doubt Chris is going to dive into that one, but we'll see. <laughs> I was looking forward to seeing Chris. He was going to be a breakout this year. Chris and Rob, they're good people. I was looking forward to a lot of. I was looking forward to seeing a lot of people at uh, yeah, at breakout. Yeah. I was looking forward to getting a haircut that I didn't give myself at, before breakout, but that, that didn't happen either. Yeah, no, I, I kind of. Hey, Zanister. Is the answer. All right, so tonight I am going to be talking about the best damn versions of Monopoly out there. And I want to know, as usual, if we do a game recommendation episode, same thing I always ask. If I missed your favorite, please let us know. If you are obsessed with Poodleopoly and there's actually, that's a hidden gem, I want to know it so I can put it on my list. Now, this is going to be a pretty quick segment. We're going to fire through this one quickly because we got to make up for last month where we totally forgot to do an AMA. So we're going to do a really quick rapid fire Ask the Bellhop, and we will be right back to the lobby. We're here to answer your game, gaming, and game night questions. You can send your questions to questions at tabletopbellhop.com or head over to tabletopbellhop.com and click on Ask the Bellhop. Uh, social media works too. We're everywhere as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. Now, the best way is for questions to come through the website. I am not going to say no to a question asked anywhere. So far, nobody has asked, what's the best version of Monopoly out there? All right, first off, before, you, before I tell you about the five best versions of Monopoly, I want to note something. Uh, this goes back to our topic three weeks ago now, I might be off on this, where we talked about house rules. Because Monopoly is by far the most house-ruled game of all time. Now, I'm not going to get into why at this point, but I will note these house rules that people don't necessarily realize are house rules are things like putting money on free parking, allowing players to build houses and hotels on one property instead of having to spread them out evenly over all your properties, rewarding you for landing on go, or completely avoiding the whole auction phase, right? You knew there was an auction phase in Monopoly? Well, many people don't didn't even know or didn't learn until much later in life that there were that they were house rules. The game is simply mistaught in most cases. Now, what I want everyone to do before you decide you don't like a game or you don't enjoy a game, not just Monopoly, any game, make sure you're playing by the proper rules. After your first play of a game that doesn't go well, take the time to review the rulebook, check for an FAQ, check online for an errata, and make sure you're playing the game the way it was designed to be played. Some games might just might not be for you, and that's fine, but make sure you're judging the game and not how someone other than the designer thought it should be played. Exactly. Now with that PSA out of the way, let's move on to some great Monopoly games. So number one, this is the best Monopoly game in the world. This is Monopoly Deal. This is a two to five player quick playing card game that plays in about 15 minutes. It's a set collection game where players are trying to be the first to collect three full property sets of different colors. It features multi-use cards that can be used to either take actions or as money. Each turn, players draw two cards, then play up to three cards. Cards can be played as property, as money, or as an action, depending on which card it is. Actions let you do very Monopoly-like things like collect rent, receive money, and acquire properties from other players. And that was Monopoly Deal. The second best Monopoly game in the world is Monopoly Gamer. 
Now, don't just think that Monopoly Gamer is Monopoly with a Nintendo theme on it, with Nintendo game properties and Mario and that. No, this is actually um, more character-driven. You're actually going to pick a popular Nintendo character to play. Base game comes with four, but you can actually buy expansion packs for more. And then each of these characters has two special abilities, giving the game an asymmetric element, something everyone that listens to the show should know I enjoy. Now, the goal of Monopoly Gamer isn't to be the last person with money. Instead, it's to earn the most points. And you get points by collecting coins and buying properties with those coins and winning boss fights. Each turn, you roll a movement die and a power-up die. And then you decide, what do you want to use first? Your power-up or the movement? Which adds a lot of strategy to each game, or tactics, sorry, tactics to each game. Many of the power-ups cause your opponents to drop their coins on the board so someone else can pick them up. So you might want to hit Mario, who's ahead of you, with a Koopa shell so you can move up and grab his coins after he drops them. Now, bosses come up every time you pass go. To fight a boss, you need to spend coins to enter the fight, and then you roll a die to see if you beat a number on the card. If you beat it, you get a reward, which is worth so many points. If you lose, then the next player can fight the boss if they want. Keep going around the table until the boss is beat, or everyone's had a chance to fight it. Now, the game ends when you get to the final boss, which is, of course, Bowser, and once Bowser is defeated, the game ends. Now, note, that means there is no player elimination in this version of Monopoly. And that was Monopoly Gamer. All right, I'm kind of cheating by putting this as number three because it's a very similar game. This is Monopoly Gamer Mario Kart. This is basically Monopoly Gamer. Almost everything is identical in this game as the other, but it's not just a retheme. Some rule changes are in there from Monopoly Gamer. Now, the biggest change in Monopoly Gamer Mario Kart is the boss fights are taken out and replaced by races. Races where players in first, second, and third place get rewards. Players must pay a buy-in pay in coins to race. Races are really simple. Everyone just rolls a d6. Whoever gets highest gets first. Whoever gets second highest gets second and third, and so on. And um, you get points. Whoever wins the race gets the card and the points. Everyone else is going to get coins. Other changes include the ability to drop bananas, which stop players on their spot, just like in the video game, and boost pad spaces that race you around the board that make the game a little quicker than normal Monopoly and Monopoly Gamer. And similar to the original game, it comes with four characters. You can buy additional booster packs with additional characters. And that is Monopoly Gamer Mario Kart. Next, Monopoly the Mega Edition. Now, I gotta say, when I see the Mega Edition, I think, oh my god, it's Monopoly, but like twice as long with twice as much stuff going on. Interestingly enough, it's the exact opposite of that. This is a version of Monopoly that you can play at max an hour and a half. It's actually a quicker version. Now, this plays two to eight players, so it also plays additional players. It features a larger board with some new features. So there's train depots, skyscrapers, nine new properties, and the $1,000 bill. One of the biggest things to speed up the game is in addition to rolling your two dice to move, you also roll a speed die. If the right symbol is rolled, it lets you instantly move to the next unowned property on the board. That is the big fist. Like, I, as soon as I heard this, I'm like, take that die and put it in your normal game of Monopoly 2. And except then you're house ruling. So <laughs> and we're ignoring our own PSA. Now, later in the game, once everything is bought, it just jumps you to the next property you owe rent on. The game also includes bus cards that you get from the community chest that will allow you to move anywhere on the board when spent. Now, another significant change is that some of the property sets have gone up to four properties, but you only have to own three to be able to build. Now, the other addition is when you're building, in addition to building hotels, you can then upgrade one hotel to a skyscraper, which is, of course, worth the most rent in the game. Well, and that is Monopoly the Mega Edition. 
And finally, the last of the top five Monopoly games is Monopoly Express. This is a Roll and Write version of Monopoly. Roll and Writes are super hot right now. This has been out for a long time, though. This is not a brand new shiny Roll and Write. Players are trying to collect sets of properties, which are valued and color coded based on the original game. You're going to, this plays two to four players, about 20 minutes. You want to be the first player to reach a set number of points. The number of points is determined by the number of people playing. Each turn, you're going to roll 10 dice. Dice that show policemen, like the go to jail symbol, are set aside. Players select a number of dice to keep in your tableau, and they can keep re-rolling. And then you can re-roll any number of times, but any time you get three policemen, your turn is over and you make no points. Either So it's, it's got to push your luck element there. Now, the dice you kept are get to put on a player board and score points. And again, this is based on basic Monopoly, so you need whatever, two purples to complete that set and three yellows and so on. It's the same same ratio that you would find in the board game. If you complete a set, you score points for all your complete sets. But if you don't manage to complete a set, then you just add up the values on the dice because each of the dice has a numbers, on, numbers on them. There are also rules for houses and hotels, and then there's a special pass-go symbol that lets you get 200 bucks and keep rolling and so on. A little bit more details to this game. Now, it is worth noting that Monopoly Express is actually an updated version of an older dice game called Don't Go to Jail. That version has slightly different rules. For example, instead of the policeman, you had dice that said go to jail and you had to roll all three words to stop rolling. And there were no rules for houses and hotels in that original version. This does rate better. Everyone who's reviewed this says that the Express version is better. Well, and that was Monopoly Express. All right, I want to finish off by saying, yes, of course, this was meant to be a bit tug-in-cheek. Uh, we are recording this episode on April 1st right now. Despite the fact that Yes, this is a bit of an April Fool's joke. I did actually do some research for this article. The five games I talked about tonight are literally the highest-ranked Monopoly games on BoardGameGeek, the number one site for board game information on the internet, for anyone who doesn't know it. Uh, while the topic may have been a bit of a joke, I do stand by these actual game recommendations. All of these games promise to be significantly better than the original Monopoly, and decent games that stand on their own. Now, what's interesting about this, and Mo had no idea, is that I actually just bought Classic Monopoly at the <laughs> demand of my wife and kids wow. as an Easter gift. Now, I tried to convince them otherwise, letting them, ensuring them that there really are better versions of Monopoly out there, but I failed. So it seems I will get a chance to see wow. what Monopoly is like with kids, uh, and I will not be allowing house rules in my plays no. to start. I like Monopoly Gamer. Your kids are into games. Like it just makes perfect sense. I like I, Monopoly Gamer. It sounds like a, a good game. Like yeah. not 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 a horrible game. It's probably well, being to be generous. fair. Even classic Monopoly is going to be better than the kids version of Monopoly yes. that someone got my daughter at some point where there are like birthday parties and things instead of properties and there's no building and it's it's awful. I mean, it's Candyland wow. the Monopoly. It's it really is. Uh, <laughs> Well, that's it for our thoughts on the main topic tonight. Be sure to head over to the blog at tabletopbellhop.com where you can find this and other gaming advice articles by clipping, clicking on Gaming Advice. All right, well, now that we're done with our thoughts on the main topic, we're going to pop into the lobby and back into the uh, Ask Me Anything where we're going to talk about uh, the AMA. All right, so first, though, any comments on the top five Monopoly game list? I think I see a couple I might have missed there, at least one. Uh, so interestingly, the one thing we talked about a couple of weeks ago was the uh, electronic version 
Now I went looking for it and there's an older electronic version where they just replaced the the money with debit cards and visa cards or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and apparently it, it was supposed to play a bit quicker, but the reviews sounded like the, it didn't really make much difference. The cards were really low quality and would break down quickly. But the version I found when I was looking online actually was different. It used more like a sort of a QR code on the back of cards that, that you tapped and actually talked about the prices, the market prices fluctuating. Yeah, uh, that sounds cool. Now, interestingly, I didn't find it listed under Monopoly on the Hasbro website, so it may uh. be out of print right now. But uh, that one actually looked interesting because I think market fluctuations are a really interesting aspect and a nice way to replace the auction, which a lot of people just don't want don't to Don't use with. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I see Ryan recommended Monopoly Tropical Tycoon DVD version. That is one. The only reason I know about this game is Tom Vassell has raved about that, of it being his favorite version of Monopoly. I have heard that is really good. Um, it introduces the rule that every version of Monopoly should use. The game ends when one player is eliminated. The player with the most money wins. I have heard of that house rule. We should have included that because that's a solid house rule for making yeah. Monopoly end. Um, I personally think grab that die from the Mega Monopoly and use that exact same rule. That if you roll the thing, you just skip to the next unknown property, which yeah. I think is a great way to just keep the game progressing without. I don't. I can't see how that would break the game in any way. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Another one that is supposedly fantastic and is it is rated by, again, this is the Dice Tower, and I can't remember if it was Tom or someone else, as both the best and the worst Monopoly game on the market is um, Hotels, Monopoly Hotels. Now, this doesn't look anything like Monopolies. It's got like three plastic towers and you're sliding in floors. And, but again, Tom said this is a great game. Like it's like Monopoly deal anytime I go online and... I post something to do with Monopoly. I'll get three or four people bashing it like, yeah, yeah, Monopoly's terrible. But then I'll have someone go, but have you played Monopoly Deal? Everyone says Monopoly Deal is fantastic. Like, I strongly stand by that recommendation, though I have to admit I haven't played the game myself. This is how Tom talks about this Monopoly Hotels. But the reason it's the worst Monopoly is it is the dumbest box I have ever seen for a board game. Where it, like, it's all spiky and there's a round curvy bit. Like, it looks like a convention center in 3D. Like, there is no way you're putting this on any shelf anyone owns right it looks great on a merchandising yes. shelf in a toy store but when you actually think about the storage potential oh, it's... someone failed their role <laughs> yeah it, it is absolutely terrible it is it is like one of the worst game boxes like i'm not a fan of tins because they don't look good on my shelf like this thing is like spiky and a big round part oh it's, it is horrible all right on to the AMA. Uh, so far, I haven't seen any questions for us except for a couple little things up. Uh, Deanna has suggested that we probably should have done the absolute worst versions of Monopoly because it's April Fool's. You know what? There's a couple things. For one, um, people may actually ask this question. So I wanted to have I, when I came up with the idea that, oh, you know what, I'll review Monopoly. And I'm like, eh, just reviewing Monopoly's name. Wait, I'll do the best Monopolies or the worst Monopoly. And I'm like, you know what, the best Monopolies is something someone will Google. Someone will Google what's the best version of Monopoly, and it would be awesome if my website came up. So for, that's one reason I want to take it serious. The other is, right now, I don't know, read the room, right? Is, is this really the April Fool's? You want to be making lots of stupid April Fool's jokes. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do an April Fool's thing, but you know what? I'm going to take it seriously. I'm, I'm going to put actual information out there. These are Monopoly games that I would be more than willing to try. Any of these games, if someone can bring them out to a Windsor game night once we're allowed to go to those again, I will happily try all of them. And I'll do up a full review and then tell you if I was right that they belong in this list. Uh, and we actually, you know what? I, I, we probably would have put something, possibly even put Ms. Monopoly in there, and yet one of our patrons 
has uh, recently been enjoying it with his daughter. So you know what? Yeah. There's something for everybody. Yeah, I, that one I don't know. What when I saw <laughs> what at least what I saw of Ms. Monopoly did not seem good. Like the 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 Monopoly from Millennials looked absolutely horrible. The Monopoly Socialism looked even worse. But yeah, I'm sure we could have done the worst. I, I didn't even bother looking on Board Game Geek because there's probably just a whole bunch that were just rated one. Yeah, there's actually uh, there's Monopoly Cheaters Edition is in print right now. See, that's it's actually pretty good. It's actually rated 4.8 on uh, Board yeah, Game Geek. That, that's above four. That's that's better than some. Yeah, I think the the one I, one of them was like five. But yeah, it's like fake die rolls, steal some bills for the bank, skip out on rent. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And then there's handcuffs. Yeah, it just doesn't sound like a board game night to me. It sounds like a different kind of night. Uh, <laughs> there's a there's a pizza monopoly right now too that's on the Hasbro website. Uh, that's like know. in a there pizza are, box. There are so many. Like there's every city in the world has a, yeah. an monopoly. There's every breed of dog because a bunch were on sale at one point, like Dash Houndopoly and all this. And it's just the same game with the rethemed, renamed, um, renamed properties. Right. Yeah. That's all you have to do is rename the properties. And you got a new version of Monopoly. So, and actually, I'm looking at this Monopoly pizza game right now, and it looks a lot like the uh, kids' version that I got from, uh, yeah, it's... I don't know, Deanna's saying the pizza one may be discontinued, because she's been seeing it in clearance. Oh, it's still on Hasbro's website, that's why, that's the only reason I know about it. Yeah, Warhammer 40k Monopoly exists. I'm not sure. Which, which, that one, when it came out, I was like, wow, in the deep, dark future, there is only rent. Like, I don't know. Unless there's a way to attack other players, that's not a 40k game. I was really chaos? disappointed. There's no like, chaos, there's no point. Yeah, I got <laughs> the the Star Trek, or Star Wars, sorry, Star Wars. When Episode 1 came out, they released this Monopoly version with this 3D board and metal miniatures and all this stuff. And I really thought it was going to have some actual Star Wars element. And there was, like, if I remember, instead of chance cards, there was light, light or dark side cards. And you could pick between them, but like that was it. Like there, there, it was ninety nine point nine straight up Monopoly, and and the one little stupid rule to make it better. Whereas like the Jedi's Path version of life, whenever the path branches, you choose light and dark side, and if you fall to the dark side by the end of the game, even if you got to the end first with the most money you lost because you had the most dark side, I'm like, there you go. Like it's the game of life. It's still everything that the game of life is, but at least there's a star Wars element. There's a push your luck element. Of course, the dark side pass, give you more money and make it quicker. But if you overdo it, you lose at the end of the game. And I'm like, see, that's cool. It's game of life with a cool star Wars theme that this one was not. Well, I mean, I suppose like star Trek shouldn't even be able to have a monopoly version technically. Uh, Cause they're post, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, Post-scarcity, right? Everyone has oh, yeah. everything they need, unless you're doing the Picard version, uh, where apparently they've gone back to having scarcity in the... Uh, so I don't know if they say that about Star Trek, but Deep Space Nine was all about the Latinum. There's all kinds of financial transactions going on. Yeah, but that was, outside the tra- that was outside the Federation, right? No, they're in the on- Federation. They're on the border. Yeah, that's the thing. They were on the border. So the, the, yeah, uh, the other races had scarcity, but, you know. Uh, uh, Ryan's point out, the ring moving around the board in Lord of the Rings Monopoly is an interesting way. Because it ends when it gets to the end. Well, that is that's... one. That That's one that, like, there were others that were on this list. Like, I did the top five. But as I kept going down, like, the next one was a Pokemon Johto edition. If I had done the top six. But I know nothing about that. I would have had to read up. I, to be honest, I had to read up on most of these. <laughs> to right. know, to, like, I had an idea what you do in Monopoly Deal. But I had no idea what made Monopoly Gamer different. I, I watched lots of Hasbro videos today. <laughs> like I said, I did real research on this. There you go. All right, come on, people. It's supposed to be an AMA. Give us questions. Right. We're still well, talking we about Monopoly because no one's asked us anything else. 
<laughs> we, got, we got a question uh, stacked up here. So Danielle has asked us, board games where the goal wasn't to win. Basically, is there a no-win condition where you just decide that you are done? Or what is a board game with an end state that is not a victory for any player or the group as a whole? So alternate victory conditions. I really. All right. This is one that I am hoping the chat can help me with. So I tossed this one in here because Daniel asked. I was hoping Daniel would be in here tonight. Must be busy tonight. I do see to maybe family in the chat room. All right. Maybe she came up with some more. So this was a conversation we had on Twitter that I thought it would be in, worth talking about because I'm hoping maybe Sean can think of some too. I had a whole – I had a really hard time. Like the, the whole thing is a board game. The definition of game – there is a win condition. That's what makes it a game, right? That's that's part of, so like almost every board game I play has a win condition. So there were a few I thought of. So one example is um, Tales of the Arabian Nights. Now, this is a house rule though. Technically, you set a threshold at the beginning of the game that I can't remember what the two are, but there's two pillars of things. And I don't remember. They're diametrically opposed pillars. And you set, like you have 20 points, and you can set 1 to 8 and 1 to 12. And as soon as one of those hits the top, you win, like the game ends. But the game is really a which way adventure where you're moving around a map. It's a whole Sinbad Arabian Nights thing where you're running into the Jinn and you're getting cursed and you're going on pirate raids and all this neat stuff. And it's, you see a beggar, how do you approach them? And you can say, I approach cautiously. And then you look up that on a grid and it tells the player next to you to read a passage out of the book. And it's like, oh, they're... The, whatever the the beggar is actually a prince in disguise and because you approached him cautiously he sends you on a quest to go do a thing and then you go do the thing and you collect a counter and one of those two things goes up and like you can play this game until you're bored like and that's how most people play it is you know what we're gonna sit down at 6 p.m and we're gonna play till midnight and we're gonna tell an awesome story and that's what the game's all about it's all about the experience and the story you tell because you can't game this you can't game the system like yes when he tells you to go get the thing you could go a different direction but really like the, it's not it's not high strategy it's not high tactics it's all about the experience so that's one of them um, the other thing we came up with is party games in general most party games have a scoring system and most of them we throw them out like, I think our group is one of the only groups I've ever met in the entire world that actually managed to go through the scoring round in Telestrations. And I don't know why we even do it, but there's a whole thing where you go through and everyone votes on which of the ones was the best guess, and then someone gets a point for the best pitcher, and someone... Every time we played, we've done it with points, but I know most people out in the world just play Telestrations until you're sticking to playing Telestrations, or until everyone's had a chance to be the start player. And then you end. You're just done. The The goal was to play the game. The, it was the, the adventure of it. Um, similarly, we do that with... Uh, uh, concept whenever i we play concept like the rule book says throw out the the rules they're terrible actually i think it says if you feel you the need to use scoring here's a system but it's terrible so we just play until we're bored what we play is whoever guesses the answer is the next clue giver and we swap spots at the table and then in the next person answers the question becomes the clue giver and then eventually you're like well, you know we've been playing for five hours i've had enough uh, I see people talking uh, now. There's some some huge threads on this, and I just I just found a rabbit hole on board game okay. geek. Um, so board game geek defines games as something that has a a, a victory an end condition. Yeah, um, exactly. and and so the majority of definitions of, of of official definitions of games have a quantifiable end point. Now the argument is is a quantifiable end point the same as winners and losers. Can you have a quantifiable endpoint that doesn't have winners and losers? Uh, for instance, Hanabi doesn't have winners or losers, it just ranks all the players. Yep, so technically, win. one of them is the highest ranked, but I guess not necessarily the winner. 
I, I would um, say in Hanabi, if you get whatever the 24 points you've won, yeah. you, you uh, beat Hanabi. Absolutely. Uh, another another uh, example is Duck, Duck, Goose. Duck, Duck, okay. Goose is a game that has an end when you're done. There is no winner or loser in Duck, Duck, Goose. You just keep playing. Does that ha- I wonder if it originally had one. Like uh, once one player has three points or something. <laughs> But you know, but that that like that that's a that's a game. Now some people might call that, that an activity. It's sort of in the, well, that's in the same it. way. Like you call you don't consider um, uh, some games games. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, no, that's know. just it. Some games are activities. Activities yeah, count. Yeah. Like the other one I was thinking of is is um, like role playing games. Obviously, right? Role playing yep. games. There, there's no winner. Though, like you might finish the adventure. You might have a goal to get up to level 20, but like in specific, she was looking for board games. Yeah. Uh, so there's my, the, the overlap games, right? So for the queen, for the queen does have an end. The, the, I don't know. I don't even think it's a spoiler because I think it tells you what happens, but the end of it is the queen is attacked. Do you defend her? There is no wrong or right answer to that. And the group doesn't win or lose. You just finish the experience. I can't think of a lot of other versions, though. Um, there are other, like, Ten Candles. I don't know if that's considered an RPG or a uh, board game. But again, it's you light ten candles while you're playing. It's a horror game. And once the tenth candle goes out, the game's over. Yep. Uh, another one uh, people talk about is uh, Bananagrams. Uh, yes, technically there are rules for winners and losers. I was going to say the big a lot of people, game, definitely. A lot of people don't really seem to agree that those should exist. So <laughs> um, okay. uh, it, it's a better game without them, basically. Interesting um, to know. So, uh, I, I don't know. Like, anything, I'm trying to think of stuff. Like, I know, like, I played Talisman Experience where we set up our own ending where we're like, we must have hit all the adventure cards. But, like, it's all house rules, right? Yeah. I can't think of many games I bought where uh, there's, I just keep thinking there's got to be more, which is one of the reasons I wanted to discuss it tonight. Uh, Once Upon a Time, the storytelling card game. Again, yeah. it has scoring and a winner defined, but most people agree that you house rule it yes. without it and it's better. <laughs> yeah, any of those two. Uh, Rory Story Cubes is another one, right? You roll the cubes, you tell the story. Um, that that definitely would apply. Um, there's that Icarus from Renegade Games. I haven't played that, though. It'd be nice if, if um, Jeff was in the chat room tonight, because I know Jeff's played it. That one sounded interesting, where you're, like, you're doing a whole fall of an empire. I'm sure there's more. I just, I just, there are not a lot. That's for sure. There's definitely not a lot of, like I said, the definition no, no, of a game. Most people's yeah. definition of a game is, is either there's a win condition or an end condition. That's what makes it a game and not an activity. Why is the game we complain that is it's an activity and not a game? I know people say the game, Candy Lane. game you can win. Like well, Candy Lane, Candy Lane is the is the number one. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's just because it's predetermined. There, there's no actual player choice once the deck's been shuffled. Well, sorry, you have a choice, but there's always an optimal choice. And if everyone just did the optimal choice, the winner is determined by the shuffle of the deck, not anything the players do. That's right. completely different. That's deterministic, which is why it's uh, not a game to me. Because the players have no actual... They have the so, illusion of, uh, of choice. So, interestingly, I've actually got up right now the Board Game Geek game criteria. So, this is what determines whether or not you're allowed to be called a game on Board Game Geek. Okay. Uh, and uh, if a solo if a solo game the player must make decisions to work towards victory, uh, again towards victory, uh, and or games generally need a point where someone or a group of persons has won, or someone or a group of persons has lost, including cooperative games where the game 
wins. Wins or loses. Uh, so they that basically eliminates drinking games, sex games, parlor yeah, games. There passing, you go. The, entertainment the, and passing time games are eliminated by that definition. See, I hadn't thought of those. There's all those those interesting dice games. Yeah. Our two player date night article has a few of those linked at the very bottom of it. So yeah, there's there's those games. We've had a couple of those. Yep. All right. Uh, what else do we have? Okay, so uh, next up, we've got a question from uh, Roger Malosh uh, joining us. And uh, thank you for the follow uh, on Twitch hey. there, Roger. Awesome so Board Game, Arena, Board Game Arena is currently overrun, and I can't even log yeah. in most of the time. Now, I want to say one thing. If you pay, if you become a premium member, you can always log in. As a premium member... I get notices and I get some slowdowns. Uh, they actually had a serious failure of their server host last weekend uh, that they actually went down, like the site went down uh, out of their control. But as a premium member, you get in first. So uh, even when you can't get in as, as a free member, I'm able to get in and play as a premium member. Yeah. But that being said, we don't all have money right now. Times are tough because we don't all have jobs anymore. Yes. And, you know... The question is, what do you think of Tabletopia or the Steam board game simulator? All right. So one thing before we go to that board, it's cheap, isn't it? Board game arena. Yeah, it's it's, it's like three dollars Canadian or something a month it, or something like that, or three fifty, uh, maybe four, maybe at four. Most. Yeah, at it's most. like under five dollars a month. So if you just want to be able to get in, uh, a problem. I the problem is I can't answer this yet. So we've been asked, this is the most popular question we have gotten or seen on the internet, not necessarily even directed at us, Recently. is how can I play games online? And my initial thought was everyone else has covered this. Like literally every gaming blog out there seems to have covered it. But obviously not everyone's read those yet. So this may be our topic for next week. The problem is Sean and I need to try more of them. Yep. Um, one of the things I don't like is one of the ones, which I think is Tabletop Simulator on Steam when it was released, was a platform. It was basically a 3D tool manipulation platform. It's a physics it, simulator. It's a yeah. So it like all the table was there and all the pieces were there, but it was as if the game was in front of you and you'd have to move the pieces. And part of that is developing the skill to do that in this VR and not like knock things over. And yeah. if you watch the Steam preview for it, ninety percent of the videos are people flipping tables. Because that's one of the things you can do. No one seems to show off the game. Now, I thought that's how it still was. And I have since heard from multiple people that people have now made mods where the game does stuff for you. It'll move things for you. It'll track things. It'll keep track of your score. It'll do all the things that like Board Game Arena does. So now I haven't seen it. I tried a beta way back when it, all it was was a simulator. Like, like that was it. It was this to me. I, I would never do yeah. it unless I, I was forced to, because it was the, like trying to manipulate the things was more work than it would be yeah. to play the game. It wouldn't be fun. And also it's not cheap. I mean, you've got to buy no. the tabletop simulator and then you also, in some cases, not all, but in some cases have to buy the game content yes. as well. Uh, and then again, in some cases, the game isn't doing anything for you. You're still doing there. all the math. It's just giving you the ability to play that game. Uh, and, I should also we should also point out uh, as Ryan has mentioned in the chat room and weeks previous, none of these tabletop digital games are really accessible to a lot of people um, yeah. out there. So they yeah, are not well designed for accessibility. 
So the other one is Tabletopia. I've looked at Tabletopia. Tabletopia, to me, just looks like a watered-down version of Tabletop Simulator. But again, total caveat. I, I apologize in this case. We are not the ones to answer this question at this time. I don't know if I'm going to bother to go out and spend the money on Tabletop Simulator because it does cost money. Um, I don't know if there's any way I can get a review copy. It seems like something I should be able to get a review copy of, but I don't know how. <laughs> like, who to even write to get a Steam code for that? Um... What I do know people use it for, and Deanna's mentioning this in the chat, is both are known to be fantastic for prototyping. Because you don't need to make a physical game. You can make it all there. Right. And I follow Roger on social media, and I've noticed Roger's done that. Roger is a local game designer here in Windsor, and I've seen his physical games out at local events. And I've seen him sharing pictures of what he's created. I think it's in Tabletopia. And i got to admit, it looks impressive. Now, again, I think they're all just physics simulators in this case, but I could be wrong. It does look really cool. Uh, and Roger's mentioning he got it for nine ninety nine, but I know that's a steal because right now I think normal Canadian Canadian price on Steam for Tabletop Simulator is I believe twenty one ninety nine. Uh, yeah. I'd have to I'd have to double check, but I know it's up there. Um, so so yeah, it, it does go on sale fairly often. I, I said they both look cool. I I don't know my recommendation. I can't strongly recommend either without trying them myself. There are a lot of free options though, and I you know what? Give me a second. I'm not researching, but I am going to... At ten dollars, I would probably be buying uh, Tabletop Simulator. It is on my wish list, uh, so if it ever gets down to ten bucks again, I probably will pick it up just to have it. But, but how uh, much are the games though? How much well, again, that depends. There are a lot of mod there are a number of free uh, options as well in the Steam laboratory, whatever they call right. their uh, their their area. But uh, but yeah, a lot of the the of course the the pricey games are pricey, uh, and again, they're between you know probably ten and you know, four to five to ten dollars, probably. Yeah, uh, see, I, I know I've seen a couple for like nine bucks. Um, All right. So, what I recommend are other sites. So, we talked about Board Game Arena. There is also yukata.de. Uh, which I did play on a little bit the other day, and it's it's Board Game Arena. They're all kind of the same, right? It's a web-based interface that does a pretty good job of recreating the look and feel of whatever board game you're playing. There is also Board Gaming Online, which is hyphenated, Board Gaming hyphen online. There is, if you like brass, there is a site, brass.orderofthehammer.com, where all you can do is play brass. It's extremely well done. Like, someone did a really good job making the game look like the game. Um, there's Spielby Web, which is another one. Um, Board Game Geek actually has a wiki that lists all online games with about 200 of them. Uh, there's Board Game Arena, Tabletopia, Bot La Joue, which is a French site, which I could never figure out even how to start a game, but I think you have to register and I haven't done that yet. Uh, there's HappyMeeple.com, which hosts online gaming. Like there are a number of options. The two, the biggest ones are Yukata and Board Game Arena for free. I don't know if Yukata has been having the problems that Board Game Arena has as far as um, load. I was able to get on and play something fine. And I don't have a paid account there. So yes, it seems do. like less people have heard oh, of them. Oh, Yukata, yes. Yukata, Yukata.de. Yeah. I was able uh, to get in and jump in a game right away. And I and I did just check uh, the premium membership on Board Game Arena is currently $34.80 a year or $2.90 a month. Yeah, see, so, that's pretty cheap, right? Like, Yeah. It, it's, I, to to the, not for the, wait in line? If you, if you've got... Continuing, I play 14 games at a time. I mm. couldn't say no to giving them money. And I'm, I'm happy to give them money. So, so yeah, Ryan's noting for accessibility. I, I again, I wouldn't expect much. I, I it, wouldn't hold my breath for what, any. What do you call it? Sprite-based graphics? Like it's just, it's all the same system that Board Game Arena uses, right? Yeah. Like it's all, it's all 
very graphical, click on things to get things done. Yep. So I don't know, like, I would have a goal. I don't know if it's going to happen. I have a goal to, um, Sean and I to review some of these sites and literally recommend the best <laughs> of them. It's just finding the time to do it and possibly the money, yep. which is something, I don't know if that's something we want to open up our budget to or not. We'll see. If, if maybe we buy Tabletop tabletop Simulator and stream some stuff on it on Fridays or something, so then it's at least more worth it than one blog post topic. Yeah. Well, again, and it's one of those cost. things where we'll, we'll both, uh, you know, if I see it on sale, I'll, I'll let us know and yeah. we'll, we'll figure it out at that point. See, the other problem, too, for us, now this is a personal problem. Well, not a personal problem, but this is something that sucks about Steam is the Steam family account doesn't work with any of the board games. So if Deanna also wants to play with us, which is what we're going to want to do, like if I want to play online with Deanna, we both have to buy the game. So I got to buy two copies of Tabletop Simulator, and I got to buy two copies of the mod pack so Deanna and I can play, which is terrible. It, it just it's it's a horrible. Like I get why they do it because it'd be too easy to just give out codes to your friends or whatever if it wasn't if there was some way to share accounts. But like they have a family account, but we have yet to find a single game the family account actually works on. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's an so issue. So that's another limiting. Right? I so mean, even, even Board Game Arena, you were forced to buy yes. have a premium account in order for both of you to play because they don't mm -hmm. want people uh, cheating within the same IPS. Yeah, they don't want to have someone to have two windows open and play two different players, which, man, I can't believe people even do that, that they have to have a rule for it. Well, I mean, because they have tournaments and stuff, people... I know. Yeah. I get whenever it. There, whenever there's competition, there's someone willing to cheat. But yeah, I, I do want to. I do want to check it out. And maybe it'll be by next week. I don't know. Like I said, it's definitely a topic that's still hot. I get notifications on my phone every day of some other website yet again posting how do I play online, and some of the answers are terrible. Like, well, they don't know. Like Board Game Maria is a fantastic. They don't know the free action, or maybe they're getting paid to promote the other sites. I don't know what it is. But I'm like, people are like, oh, you can play all these games on Steam. I'm like, everyone knows about Steam. Like, who yeah. knows about Boltlejou.com, right? Like, that's kind of why I was hoping for. Uh, so, well, but yeah, Roger, I, I know you, you, instead of buying a pint of beer every Wednesday, you know, once a month, you buy one less pint of beer. <laughs> I know you're not going out to easy mode anymore, but in, and you buy an account on board game arena. That's what I would recommend in your case. Now that one, you won't be able to put your games on. There is no user content on board game arena. It is, it is all done. Developed well, there is a end. developer. There is an API that can be worked with, but I don't know how you access it. Yeah, so. it's it's not part of the basic service, right? It's not like it's yeah. Hey, man, what you've done so far looks fantastic. The stuff I've been seeing on my Facebook feed looks really good. Uh, oh, hey, we should actually create a group on Board Game Arena. I didn't realize there were groups. Uh, we should. <laughs> just, I didn't know we could do that. Neither did I? I'm just all of a sudden I'm like, find a group. Oh, you can do groups. Maybe we should have a tabletop bellhop group. Yeah, uh, you know what? I'll drop links to all those on. Like I again, I don't reckon necessarily recommend all of these because I haven't tried them. But I will drop all of the, the links. I dropped them in the chat here, but I'll drop them in the show notes for anyone that has to be listening to this later for a bunch of these online game places. Uh, and I just noticed that Board Game Arena actually has merchandise. I, I might consider yep. buying a coffee mug because it's like go. 16 bucks Canadian for a coffee mug that has the Board Game Arena. And I mean, we pimp them all the time. They are we not do. sponsors. I give them money every they, month. They should be paying us. They, they really should, should be they paying should send us. us coffee Except mugs. right now, they have gone from an average of yeah, 5,000 users to 15,000 <laughs> users yeah. and up to, tw actually, no, they, sorry, they've hit 20,000 users Active, since, yeah. since this has happened. Um, they are not hurting. <laughs> no, they, they don't need our help. But yeah, we've been, we've been, advocating from them since uh, yeah. Eric Franklin pointed it out to me quite a while ago now at this point. Yeah. 
All right, what do we got next? So next up, uh, we have a question from Rick Wayne. Anyone know of a game similar to Betrayal at House on the Hill, fantasy setting, good for teenagers? Okay, first off, Rick may be living under a rock or doesn't have a local game store, but there is a game called Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, which is a D&D re-theme of Betrayal at House on the Hill. So right there is the number one answer. There is literally a fantasy version of Betrayal of House on the Hill. So that would be my number one recommendation. Um, I don't know if Rick hadn't heard of that yet, which is possible. Not everyone watches board game media the way we do. Um, the other recommendation that I had immediately upon hearing this were the D&D games. So Dungeons & Dragons put out a series of board games that started when 4th edition of Dungeons & Dragons was popular still, was still the, the going edition. And they now call them the the, the Adventure Series, or the Dungeons & Dragons Adventure Series. The first was called Wrath of a Shardalon. Uh, there was also, uh, there's a Ravenloft one, I own it. Castle Ravenloft. There was Legend of Drist. There's Temple of Elemental Evil. Um, probably, I think there's one based on one of the newer ones. So since 5th edition came out, they interestingly kept putting these board games out, which are still derived from the 4th edition rules. So they still have, like, uh, like they, they have powers and stuff very similar to 4th edition. This is a very much a board game, um, which very similar to Betrayal House on the Hill, you randomly build the dungeon as you're playing. And you have some kind of goal. And it's scenario-based. Note scenario, not campaign, which we talked about many times on the show. I'm not going to get into the differences here. But it's a scenario-based game where you start off on one tile and you're going to explore the map and try to get to whatever the end goal of the scenario is. It's a cooperative game. So you're all working together against the game. Unlike Betrayal House on the Hill, there's no betrayer. There's no hidden traitor that's going to go against you. Now, these games are really solid. Also, if you are into role-playing at all, this is a great source of dungeon tiles and cheap miniatures. They're all unpainted, but you get a slew of miniatures in here and some really cool-looking dungeon tiles. So that is, if you don't have it or aren't interested in Betrayal of Alder's Gate, check out the Dungeon Dragons Adventure Series games, which there are... It's a slew of different ones. Um, I'm not even sure what the newest one is. That's something maybe Sean will Google it, because I try not to Google while we're doing AMAs, so... Uh, next up, uh, Mountain Papa, one of our new followers, says, uh, after Gloomhaven, what is a cool two-player legacy game? Two-player legacy game. I've heard Aeon's End Legacy is pretty good. Uh, personally, my next one I would want to play is Clank Legacy. I don't know how great that is two-player. I would Google that one. I would, I would look that one up on Board Game Geek to check the recommended players, just to see if it's not, might not be recommended with two players. Um, Pandemic plays extremely well with only two players, uh, especially if you each take on two roles instead of one. Uh, Pandemic Legacy is still, it's what, the number two game in the world, so it's the one step down from Gloomhaven. Though, personally, I don't recommend playing that right now with what's currently doing in the world. I prefer my gaming to be a bit more escapism, and I don't need to be reminded of what's going on in reality while I'm playing, but maybe when this all blows over, you might be interested in looking into Pandemic Legacy. I've heard Charterstone is fantastic and plays good at low player counts. I haven't played that one myself. Um, trying to think of Risk Legacy, I would not recommend with only two players. I don't even know if you can. Uh, Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle-Earth, uh, Tori and Kat, who we play Gloomhaven with, have recommended that at two players. They say it plays really well. That's an app-driven game where the app's going to tell you the story. It's cooperative. There are a lot. There are a surprising number. Now, I don't know if you... If, if, I don't think I call Lord of the Rings, Journey in Middle-Earth a legacy game. I'm sorry, that's a campaign game where your characters evolve and you play through it. But there's no legacy elements. There's nothing you rip up. There's no... You can play through scenarios more than one time. Sorry, campaign-based game. Uh, like, I, if you were looking at campaign-based games, I would explain it, exp expand it to um, 
Star Wars Imperial Assault as well. With two players, I would recommend playing with the app and playing the co-op mode, but you could also play one player plays the Empire and one player plays the Rebels. Again, no legacy element, but there's a full campaign. You play through ten games to get through a whole campaign. You slowly build your deck and improve your characters. A fantastic game. Uh, And uh, so Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated uh, is listed as uh, well-recommended at two players. So it's best at four, four, but but two and three players are both uh, well-recommended. Uh, All right, so Ryan pointed out that the games I mentioned, similar to Betrayal House on the Hill, do not have a hidden traitor. So if that's the aspect of Betrayal House on the Hill you like, not the exploration of the castle, or or sorry, the castle, the the house, if you like the traitor aspect and you want fantasy, I would recommend uh, Shadows Over Camelot. That is a Arthurian, so there is a dragon in it, so it's fantasy. It's a it is Arthurian where you are playing Knights of the Round Table and you are trying to defend Camelot that's being beset by all kinds of things. So you're, you're trying to find the Holy Grail. Uh, Lancelot is trying to, uh, sorry, you're trying to find the Holy Grail. You're trying to find Excalibur. Lancelot is fighting um, the Black Knight and there's a joust going on and there is also a... Um, Siege. There's a siege going on, so there's catapults attacking, and then there's the Normans and the Picts attacking. No, the Normans are Arthur. Who is it? It's the Picts and the Saxons, maybe? Yeah, I think it's the Picts and the Saxons and Arthur are the Normans. I'm messing up my British history. Uh, Whatever. You're being attacked by both sides. And it's a card-driven game where you have to try to, like, deal with all these things at once. It's a really difficult... uh, it's a co-op game at first when you first start playing it. And then, well, the trick is that one of the players possibly is a traitor who's actually working against it and wins the game if Camelot falls, which is, you know, throws in the whole Lancelot goes insane kind of thing into it for the myths. But really solid. I, that used to be one of my favorite games to bring out the public play events because a lot of people in Windsor that come up to gaming events role play for one. So you get a lot of role playing in that game. It's almost required because you're not allowed to talk about like Gloomhaven. You're not allowed to talk about what you have in your hand. You have to, you know, role play it. and talk, Oh, I'll go really quick or I'm going to go fight the Normans and I'm going to need help at the end instead of saying, hey, I need a five card. Um, plus, the way the game works, because on every turn the bad guys go, then you go, the bad guys go, then you go, you can drop out of the game and it doesn't affect the overall game and people can join in. So if you're playing with five players and then someone shows up new to the game night, it's like, hey, come here, take a character card. And then they're in for the next round and it works. But the it's only not a legacy game. No, definitely not. Like, No, this is going back to the Betrayal at the House on the Hill recommendation, yeah. not the legacy game recommendation. I would, the Shadows Over Camelot is not a good two-player game. It doesn't work. Don't even try. I, it's got to be at least three-player minimum. But that's to, to throw in a fantasy game with a with a traitor element that a teenager would probably enjoy. I think they'd enjoy the role-playing aspects. They'd probably like beating up catapults. I don't know. I'm trying to think of me as a teenager, right? <laughs> they'd like dueling and, and doing the joust. Like That would all be neat stuff at that age. It would have been neat to me at that age. Saxons and Picts, yeah, the Normans are the... King Arthur is part of the Norman Empire or whatever. Uh, all right, well, all right. we're a little quiet we got in the chat room. Are we going to move on? I don't know. I think we're, we're going to be moving on. It looks like uh, things have quieted down. So what do we have this week? This is a pretty good match of topics, actually. So we basically yeah, defined what a game is. There you go. That, that'll be a useful one. We talked about what a game is. Talked a bit more about Monopoly games. Uh, we've got games uh, somewhere to betrayal. I'm just looking for for the show notes later. 
All, All right. right. So one of the things we're going to try to remember to do this regularly. We do try to do an ask us anything, ask me anything on the last Wednesday of the month. So our next one, assuming I don't forget, please remind me if it looks like I'm going to. And I start talking on Twitter about the wrong topic on April 29th. We should be having another ask us anything. Uh, this should have happened last week. And with everything going on, I literally just didn't even consider it until we showed up. And I think it was Ryan in the chat room was like, isn't it an AMA tonight? And I'm like, oh, wow. But no, (laughs) but no, uh, at any time though, you can ask your questions. You don't have to be here live. I love it when you're here live because then we can interact and you can go, Oh, I agree with this. I want this, etc. Uh, send your questions to questions at tabletopbellhop.com or hit me up on social media. That's it for our thoughts on our AMA this week. And again, always you can head over to the blog at tabletopbellhop.com where you can find all sorts of gaming topics that we cover And some of our AMA questions might even get turned into topics at some point. Yeah, some of these, if I can expand on them, I will do that in the future. We keep growing with the support of fans like you, so please take a minute to subscribe, follow, like, rate, review, click on the bell, thumbs up, retweet, or share with your friends. We're looking to grow the brand even more. There's always something new in the works, so now's the time to get in on the ground floor. Sign up to receive Tabletop Bellhop Weekly in your inbox. Once a week, I send out an email recapping all the content we released in the week previous. Uh, new blog posts, new podcast episodes, new reviews, new Ask the Bellhop questions, new actual plays, or anything else we create. You can sign up at newsletter.tabletopbellhop.com. All right, just one final reminder that except for the podcast that we're recording right now, Wednesday nights at Twitch, 9 p.m. Eastern, all of our other Twitch streams, all of our other scheduled streams are on hold until further notice. Now, I do have a couple unboxings to do, and we're talking about maybe streaming a uh, game online at some point, but I don't have a set date for when those are going to happen. Be sure to follow us on Twitch so you do get notified if we decide to do something unscheduled. And as well, on Twitter, we'll usually announce something there. Up next, Mo has resurrected a classic review from 2013, looking at the board game Quarriers. All right, with quarantines and everything else going on right now, I am sad to say I have not had a chance to get in any plays of my games on the pile of obligation. So I apologize, companies who gave me review copies, but I'm sure you understand with what's going on right now. I just can't fire through all those games like I was able to when we were having gaming events every weekend. So I needed something to review this week, so I thought it'd be a good chance to resurrect one of my classic game reviews. So before I did this whole bellhop thing, I used to run a website called the Windsor gaming resource and on that site i published a bunch of reviews of games i played now these are reviews this is long before many publishers knew who i was this is all stuff i bought and i liked and i wanted to talk about now previous reviews like this have done really well so we've done race for the galaxy and alhambra and i actually get a lot of positive feedback on those actually last show we had someone write in and thanking me for the race for the galaxy review so i thought why not let's do another one of these and on the blog i'm going to release it tomorrow for you know throwback thursday that's kind of an online thing just because it's old doesn't mean we won't review it sometimes the classics are where it's at either great in and of themselves or as a place in history yeah very true so first off i want to thank you patreon patrons for helping me pick which classic review to resurrect this week i gave them a choice of four different games and they're the ones that picked courier so that's the one we're looking at today now this couriers was designed by mike elliott and eric m lang those are big names nowadays in board gaming the people may not have been a big back then those are some famous designers it features art from jay lonnie and chris ramo uh, i was published by WizKids kids in 2011 
Now, I am not going to go over the entire review here on the show. Uh, I basically reposted the original review word for word over on the blog. I was definitely a little more verbose back in 2013 than I am now. So if you do want to see the whole thing, just go over to the blog. And uh, so interestingly, it was released in 2011, but it was actually awarded a, uh, a prize at Origins in 2013, the year you wrote this, uh, this review. There's a reason for that. So I didn't dive into this here in the review at all. So when Couriers, the original came out, it was in a tin, in a cube that looked like a die. So kind of good marketing, but everyone hated the tin. It was, you couldn't fit it on your game shells. It didn't store the components separately. You always had to split up the dice at the beginning of every game. There was no play mats. There were a lot of issues with the first printing of the game. So what I actually reviewed was the first deluxe box set that came out. So it's the second edition or second printing of Couriers. And that's the one that won all the awards. And don't so forget, that's the reason for that one. Don't forget that's Couriers with an exclamation mark. Yes, Couriers, I should say. Alright, so Aquarius is a dice-based bag-building game where players all start with the same set of basic dice. Players then draw a number of dice from their bag, roll them, and then use them to do things. One of the things you're going to roll are like a, man, uh, a drip of water, it looks like. It's a mana-like resource, like Think Magic the Gathering, called Quiddity, that you use to summon your monster dice, which are other dice you roll with monsters on them. The basic monster in the game uses the symbol of a pawn from chess. These all go into a player's active area, so you use your Quiddity to activate your pawns, and now you have your pawns in your active area. Monsters that are still in a player's active area by your next turn are how you score points. So you summon that pawn, and if nothing kills your pawn, it's still there at the start of next turn, you're going to get one point. Other monsters, of course, are going to be worth more points. The goal is to hit a certain point threshold, and this is based on the number of players. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but say it's 10 points for two players and 15 for three or whatever. After scoring points, after you get your points for your monsters that are in play, you can then attack with the monsters that are there. Uh, this is interesting because depending on the number of players, you always attack everyone so if i attack with my pawn i'm attacking everyone else with that one pawn which is an interesting way to do it attacking combat is pretty much magic the gathering you have an attack and a defense value if my attacks higher than your defense i defeat your die nice and simple no there's no attacking other players so it's not magic it's not star realms there's no way to attack the other player the only thing you're doing is killing their monsters that are in play so is there really a difference between attacking the player versus their monsters do players even have health is no there... like i said there there is no attacking players in this. Right. not at all you can't all you're doing is trying to make sure that the person doesn't have monsters at the start of the turn because if they do they score points right now after combat you're going to look at any of your leftover quiddity so whatever you didn't use to summon monsters and you're going to use that to buy new dice from a central market uh the market's made up of monsters and spells on the blog i get into details of how many of each but it doesn't really matter these are how you get new dice and new more powerful dice and similar to most deck building games the more quiddity you spend generally the more powerful the creature you get so really calling this a board game is a bit deceiving it's really a card game with a bag building dice game yeah, pretty much. There is technically, there's a player board to keep track of where your dice are. So like they have to go into an active area when they're active, and then they go into a used pile, which is on a little player board, and then the used pile sits there until you need to reshuffle your bag or pull, redo your bag. So then you grab everything in your used pile and throw it in. And there's actually some strategy there where you might want to put stuff into your active pile so it doesn't get cycled through your bag. So there's some board elements. Like there's 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 probably more than, say, Dominion. Overall, it's a pretty simple to teach game. Like, I just gave you the really basic overview. The only thing you need to know is what the different symbols on the dice mean to really be able to play based on what I just said. And what it 
does have is a ton of variety. The original game comes with over 130 dice. There are a ton of different cards. And what's impressive is there are multiple monster cards for each die. So there's like a weak green die. Like the, the green die is a slime. And there'll be three different dice representing slime, each with different abilities. So you're going to randomize which slime's in play when you use slime. So it's just a huge amount of replayability. Like it is highly likely that you'll never play two games of Quarriers identical. Now, back when I first reviewed this game, looking at what I thought back in 2013, I was blown away by the mechanics of this game. The whole theory of, I, instead of being a deck builder where I'm building my deck, I'm building this bag full of dice, and I'm pulling out dice, and I'm, I'm rolling my dice, and some of them are monsters. That just blew me away. I thought it was completely unique and completely innovative. Like, to me, it felt like uh, an evolution of deck building. And an evolution is in a step up in a good way. Though there was one drawback is holy randomness, Batman. Like, you already have randomness in deck builders, right? So what's in the central market, of course, is randomized every game. So that's going to affect the game. What you draw in this, what you pull from your bag is going to matter, right? So you've got those two elements, but then what you've pulled are dice. And every die has six sides, right? Like, that's just a the crazy number of variables to keep track of. You're, you're, you're just, everything's random. And one quote that I like, that this is my one complaint, and I like the way I worded this, that from the original review, so I'm going to quote here. So even though you may have saved up and bought that awesome dragon, he's not going to help you much at all if all you do is keep rolling one quiddity on that dragon die every time. And that is the, the fall down of Quarriers, I find. Overall, though, I, it was a positive review. It was, it, I found the randomness tolerable, and I enjoyed the game and pretty much gave it a thumbs up by the end. Well, there are a lot of folks out there who disapprove of games that not only feature randomness, but square it by layering randomness yes. on top of randomness. <laughs> and that's just it, right? Like, it's just, it's randomness on top of randomness on top of randomness. So, what about now? What are your thoughts on Quarriers today? All right, so most of what I had to say in the review still stands. I, I still think it's a really neat mechanic. It's 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 well done. It's it's cool. Uh, I went on to play Quarriers many times after this review. Um, I even went on to feature it at some local events. I hosted a Quarrier night at Brimstone Games. I even included it in a great Canadian board game blitz. So I thought this game was worthy, was tournament worthy. Like I thought that, that you get ranked points. Four players can sit down and one player can play better than others. So to me, if I throw it in a blitz, it means that I think it's a solid game. Multiple expansions were released all with a Q name. Each added some little extra something. Some had giant dice. Others had more monsters. There were new spells and so on. And I picked up most, not all of them. Though I notice you use the past tense in all your you're talking about it playing. Yeah, because yeah, definitely because something happened that had me stop playing Quarriers completely, and I honestly have not touched the game since. Late in 2014, WizKids, the company that produced Quarriers, released a brand new dice-based dueling game called Marvel Dice Masters: Avengers vs. X-Men. Now, I admit, I didn't actually try it when it came out. I didn't get into it till 2015, and that's because it kept selling out everywhere. This was literally the Keyforge problem back in 2014. You could not find decks, well, decks, dice, whatever you want to call it. You couldn't find starter packs for Dice Masters anywhere. Now, this new dice game is an evolution of Quarriers. It took the basic mechanics of Quarriers and refined and fine-tuned every little bit of them. They also changed the game to a collectible format starter sets and random booster packs now that part i'll admit i didn't really appreciate though i did because oh my god my first booster is sitting in a coffee shop opening them i just had that joy of going back to opening up magic packs so i i hate well i hate it and i loved it all at once now dice masters moved the game further away 
from its deck building roots, like further from games like Dominion, uh, and closer to more dueling games like Magic the Gathering. They completely remove the wilderness. There's no central market anymore. Instead, players do pre-game deck building or dice building or both, right? Because the the decks just tell you what the dice represent. So you would get your card your for spider-man you would pick your spider-man card and then decide to buy one two three or four spider-man dice to have in your game um so you're it's all pre-constructed right so now players sit down to play each player would have their own set of cards and their own set of dice the goal was completely changed so the goal went back to what we talked about earlier now you are attacking the other player so yes you can defend with your heroes in front of you but the goal is to knock the other point opponent's hit points down to zero and you're using heroes and villains to do it well, it's a familiar mechanic. Most of us just don't even think twice about now. It's just how, how else were you going to do that's things like that? That's how you like play that. dueling games. You, you attack each other, right? And you defend with your summoned stuff in front of you. Yeah, just overall, Dice Masters, to me, was a better game. Uh, it was quicker. Uh, they had more dice that mitigated the randomness. They had some really neat generic powers that were based on the, the, the j- basic dice you start with. Um, I like the Marvel setting better. Like, I'm into fantasy, but, like, Quarriers was completely generic fantasy, whereas being able to fight, you know, Spider-Man versus Doc Ock, I'm into that. I dig that. And I like the force-building aspects. I like the fact that I went out and bought booster packs and I could make a, a themed deck. I could team up Wolverine with Spider-Man and throw in Kitty Pride because she has an e-force field effect. The combos with, you know, that's the whole thing right uh due to that i never played couriers again i literally did not keep it um i i like didn't never played i kept it for a while uh to bring out the public play events but to be honest it's gone i sold it to someone at some point i don't remember when maybe i put it in an extra life auction i'm not sure where it went but i no longer have it now i will say there are a couple advantages couriers does have over dice masters there are reasons people might want to seek this game out one is it plays four players. Dice Masters is a two-player duel. Yes, there are some variant rules for playing multiple players, but just like trying to play multiple players in Magic or Sorcerer, they're not optimal. You want to play two players. The other thing, too, though, is Quarriers is ready to go. It is a pick-up-and-play game. I can show up to a gaming event. Sean can come down from, from Hamilton. I can throw out Quarriers, and we can just, here you go. Here's the stuff. We put out the market. Let's play. There's no deck building, right? There's no, we don't each have to have our own set of the game. There's none of that. You just sit down and play. Whereas if we want to play deck masters, either I have to build Sean a deck or he's got to come down and I got to show him all his cards and he's got to build his own deck. And we can't just sit down and just play where you can do that with couriers easily. Yeah, it's a definite definite advantage for uh, drop of the hat plays, uh, unless you're you know in a league sort of setting with uh, you know magic type players who yeah. have their dice masters set all ready to go. Uh, it's not as it's not as uh, you know casual. True, and there is of course organized play for this. So at this point, I can't recommend Quarriers. Like, but you know what? If it sounds cool, if what I just described sounds neat to you, like this whole bag building dice rolling mechanic sounds interesting, I do suggest checking out Dice Masters. Now at this point, there are a ton of different sets out there. Uh, it's not just Marvel. Uh, there's DC, there's Warhammer 40k, there's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and one of their latest sets is WWE. So you can even do wrestlers with Dice Masters. And what's cool that they've done to many of us who are not a fan of the collectible element is they have released a lot of these licensed variants in standalone what they call campaign boxes. So you can pick up a TMNT campaign box, you can pick up a WWE campaign box that removes the collectible element, and then you have everything ready to play right in the box with some pre-constructed decks or pre-constructed, whatever you want to call them, forces on each side. Well, for a more in-depth look and a reposting of Mo's full 2013 Quarriers review, head over to tabletopbellhop.com and click on Reviews.
And now, the Bellhops Tabletop, where we look back and summarize what's happened since we were last here. What games hit our tables? Every week, we like to take a look back at the games we played, any events we attended, and any other cool gaming stuff that happens to be going on. Now, this past week was even slower than the previous week uh, in regards to tabletop gaming for me. Uh, the local school board finally put out some homeschooling curriculum, so my girls have been rather busy with that, especially trying to keep up on some. Uh, plus, Bobby got them some new dry clay, and they've been trying to uh, play with that, and they are obsessed with scribble knots on the Wii U right now, the DC superhero scribble knots. So they've been keeping themselves busy. They haven't wanted to game with Dad lately, so that's fine. Now, Deanna's still under the weather, so there hasn't been any physical gaming at all for me, actually, at this point. Now, I do continue to play some games on Board Game Arena, uh, including my best ever showing in Terra Mystica, playing the Giants. Uh, they are the red race in that game, and they, so far, may be my favorite race ever. Uh, my favorite race overall. Now, Sean, what about you? Any actual in-person gaming this week or just more digital as usual? Well, I actually did manage to get the kids to sit down and we did a uh, brief battle of Hogwarts battle, Harry Potter Hogwarts okay. battle, which we finally got our chance to open box two of the Monster Boxes Monsters. Cool. Uh, so now, as, as is often the case, this not only adds new cards, but some new components as well to the uh, Harry Potter. Now, unfortunately, it went very poorly for us, and we ended it early when it was clear at that point there was just no recovering. Uh, the kids, you know, the kids weren't enjoying it. You could see that this was, you know, one of those, oh, God, please don't let us keep going on this game. Wow. And so we ended it. Uh, a poor opening villain draw. Uh had us on our heels right from that very first card so we were pulling you know from from game from step one we were drawing uh up to three dark arts cards to start the game Jeez. so it was it was unfortunate we lost two two of the three locations before we defeated a single villain i they just seem to have messed the balance up on that game overall like for something i think is generally targeted at least not necessarily kids but younger people it yeah. seems really weird to, to make it that hard and frustrating. To me, I again, and this is a house ruling thing, you know, it, it's options. And I haven't generally try, uh, gone that way, but I really think that the opening draw and the composition of the villain deck makes all the difference in the world. So what, uh, in the monster box of monsters, you're adding the monsters from whatever box you've opened in, mm -hmm. uh, the Voldemort... Uh, he who shall not be named is always the same at the bottom of the deck. He's always the last. Right. Uh, and then you shuffle in randomly uh, six other monsters or creatures wow. from the rest of it. So you've got ten villains to fight. Uh, and it, you you could just end up with the really nasty ones. Um, and, and unfortunately for us, we did. We ended up with sort of an almost worst case scenario of the first three. So I think if you were to preset... At least the, even if you just preset the initial three villains so that you had a chance to start building an engine, then it might mitigate a lot of the, the sort of agony of, of, the, of what happened. I don't know. It's just multiple times you've had to quit partway through because you're like, there's no way we can finish this. Like yeah. any game, you have to quit partway through. There's just something a little wrong there. Yeah. It almost sounds like it needs like an ABC deck, like one of those where you take the really difficult bad guys, you shuffle three of them, take one out. That's the bottom. Yeah. Then you take the B and you take three of those and you shuffle them and take one out. And then you take the A, like I, multiple games. Yeah. It's famous for having that mechanic where that way it ramps up. Yeah. Intentionally. Well, then that's the thing. I think if I, if I were to house rule and just say, all right, these are going to be our first three villains and randomize the rest of it, 
yeah. you probably have that better chance because again, you get that opportunity to get the engine building, right? You don't, you're not just behind the eight ball from the first car, you know, the first, literally the very first thing that happens in that game or happened in that game for us was we drew three dark arts events cards. All everyone lost like four health and we added symbols on the location. So we started losing our yeah. location before anyone had a chance to play. Yeah, I got to break this one out with my kids again. Well, at least with Big G. I don't know. Little G's probably ready for that one now. Yeah, no. Well, I'd, I'd rather totally. play with all four of us, though. So it's, that again, it, Maeve. Yeah, again, we'll, I mean, we're playing it three player uh, uh, generally. Um, but uh, there's definitely, yeah, there's definitely some advantages of playing four player because, again, it's asymmetric player powers. Mm-hmm. So the more powers you have, the more you can. Yeah, you can sort of get a plan to, to sort things. of work with yeah. each other and, you know. Um, I, I try not to quarterback, but, uh, the kids are getting better and they, you know, what I do a lot of times is the kids have cards that they like better. So I'll try and shape my deck around knowing that, well, they like that card. So they're going to go that way. And I'll, I'll lean off on this way. Yeah. I think we're only on book like three or something like that. It's one we have not gotten out in a long time. Yeah. And well, re- and realistic. So you're, you're sort of at the cusp because I believe, yeah. I believe it's either uh, book three or or book four that they say, if you are an experienced player, open these three boxes and start. Yeah. Um, uh, That's right in the rule book is. At this point, I'd be tempted to start back with book one just because I have no. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? It's not a bad. And especially if you, if you are going to have little G in as well, it's, it's a nice way to ramp, a ramp up for her. All right. Uh, well look ahead. What do you have planned for the coming week? Uh, I don't know. I got a couple unboxing videos I want to do, but not a lot on the schedule right now. I don't even know if I'm going to do those in the coming week or the week after. We've got like five saved up to do. I kind of want to get Eclipse open, but I'm just like, I'm going to unbox it, want to play, and until the end is feeling better, no, I'm not going to teach Big G how to play Eclipse, right? Like, she's not at that level yet. We're not going to dive into that. Um, Little D has a video she wants to record. I just haven't figured out a logistically i haven't figured out where to do it and how to do it like i'm almost wondering if maybe her sitting on my lap and doing it here might work better than downstairs so we haven't figured that out yet plus like i said they now have homework now and that's been a little bit more interesting but yeah i want to do it at some point uh mainly i just hope indiana gets better for multiple reasons but gaming wise selfish gaming wise it'd be nice to be getting back to the pile of obligation and getting some non-kids games played too now a quick shout out and a thank you to some of our VIP guests, our Patreon backers. We greatly appreciate their support. Kator, we miss you both. We miss playing Gloomhaven. Friday nights just aren't the same. Duran Barnett, thank you. Timothy Smith, thanks, Timothy. Jeff Seuss, thanks, Jeff. Uh, welcome back, P.S. Goujon. Sad to see you go, but glad to see you back. Well, that was the double bell. All right, that means my shift is coming to an end and we're going to have to lock those front doors. Though the doors for the lobby are closed, you can always find us across the web and social media as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. Drop by our website at tabletopbellhop.com for more gaming content. If you like the content we're providing and would like to support our continued efforts, please consider tipping your bellhop through our new and improved Patreon at patreon.com slash tabletopbellhop. Remember to join us here on Twitch every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern and watch for the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast to hit your podcatchers and YouTube at 2 a.m. every Tuesday. Well, that about wraps up the time we have for the show tonight. For those of you here live, thank you for joining us. And if you stick around, join us in the penthouse suite for the after show. For Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I'm Sean. And I'm Mo. Thank you. And And game game on. on. 
Graphic design by Brian Weiss at RPG & Co. Music is Nimbus by Eveningland. The podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution license. 